I'm Nurse Jessica Seitz, along with Nurse Erica. We're Nurses Uncorked, the podcast that takes nursing facts with nursing comedy and makes a little cocktail out of it. Hey guys, welcome back to Nurses Uncorked. I've got Nurse Erica here, and it's me, Nurse Jessica Seitz, and we've got another guest with us today. We just keep having guest after guest lately. I, I just don't want to be alone with Erica anymore, I guess. See how it is. <laughs> we just keep finding people. But no, we love having guests on. And um, today on Nurses Uncorked, we have Matthew Garvey. Um, I was just asking this lovely gentleman how to introduce him. And evidently, he is a nurse that does multiple things. Um, Matthew has a background in um, emergency room nursing. Um, works bedside currently, but also is a, I like saying nurse entrepreneur. It sounds so like French and fancy, um, but does uh, dabbles a bit as a legal nurse consultant as well. So we're going to get into all sorts of different topics um, with Matthew. Matthew, thank you for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Thank you all for having me. I'm excited to be here. Have you ever met Matthew in person, Erica? Yeah, we are way back, way back. I'm, I'm going to tell you how we go back, but before we forget, May I present you with Snoop Dogg's newest wine for the cocktail of the week. I I was just, you know, um, lured in by the label. I'm a huge Snoop Dogg fan, believe it or not. I love him. It looks like Taylor Swift in her reputation era. It does. <laughs> you it find does. a way to hoping... make everything about Taylor Swift. Look, I've got my Swift Kelsey shirt on today, ready See? for game day. Cheers, Erica. Cheers, Matthew. Cheers. 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 Um, and cheers to Snoop Dogg. Love him. I think he still lives here in Vegas. His, Does he oh, really? Good. I did not realize that's yeah, where he was his, living. His son grad his son's like an NFL player now, I think. And he graduated from um the very, very expensive Catholic private Catholic school here that has like a, an amazing football team. And he, he used to go to like football games there. <laughs> Everyone said nice. that he was really nice and his wife was not. Did Martha ever come with him? Cause aren't he and Martha like really good friends these yeah, days? Yeah, They're like, like that. Yeah. No, never saw Martha. Yeah. But anyway, the cocktail <laughs> of the week, Snoop Dogg's 19 crimes, Cali gold. And it's actually really good. It's not a Moscato, but it's it's really good. I could drink this. Uh, so we we met at a an unlikely place and became quick friends. Um, tell everyone where we met the first time. Yeah, so we met in Nashville um, at the courthouse during Redonda's trial. Oh, it was yep. the first time that Erica and I ever got to meet, and it was so funny um, because at the time. I was super busy and wasn't watching any social medias. And everyone was like, that's the nurse Erica. And I said, he's okay. like, who? <laughs> <laughs> who, who is that? <laughs> so we actually started talking, hanging out there at the trial, sat together through the trial. Um, I actually got, was that for sentencing Erica that I got no, you the, that, the pass was, because you were out? Oh, that was, for or that was the last day, right? Yeah. But we met during the, the yeah, actual trial. For sentencing, I, the actual trial. Yeah. Um, so yeah, met several times, got to spend a, a week together um, in a very mm -hmm. unlikely place, but it all, everything happens for a reason. It brought us together. We've been friends ever since. So 
we we got to know each other during the week of the trial. He had no idea who I was, but um, I I was immediately impressed with him. He he's very intelligent, as you guys will see. Uh, but uh, I will say that the the highlight, if you can call it that, um, of getting to know Matthew was the day of um, not the sentencing, but the day that Redonda was found guilty, and we were there, we heard it. And of course, you know, everything that went along with that, we understood the impact on the nursing profession. And you and I, and a friend of ours named Kelly, another nurse actually went out to a bar and had lunch immediately after the guilty verdict and just kind of like decompressed uh, about everything that we had been through. And I, I will never forget that. That was um, like a moment in time. It, it was it was definitely a moment in time. And it was a moment where, you know, we all understood what had happened and what this guilty verdict meant to Redonda. And I think we just needed as a group to process what this looked like for the profession, because it truly had a broad reach, um, as we've seen, right? We've seen way more criminal convictions of nurses since that day. Um, despite the fact that uh, the prosecution said it was not a, it was not a war on nursing. It was not going right. to have a broad reach. It was an isolated incident. You know, all the things that, that the prosecution would tell you yeah, <laughs> um, to bring and... a good light to themselves, especially out in a political year. I won't say that he was running for election again, but mm. you know, uh, in a political yeah. year, all the things you say to bring great light to you, um, it, it was it was difficult. That was a humbling moment, I think, when we went and sat, had a drink, and just said to each other, "What does this look like? Where where are we at? Where do we go from here?" Um, yeah. How do we and support Redonda you, in all of for this? For you, it was personal too. Do you want to tell them why? Yeah, sure. Um, so Redonda and I are actually really good friends. Redonda and I went to nursing school together, um, so we grew up essentially as nurses together. Graduated nursing school. Um, went our separate ways, but we're both still in the Nashville market, essentially, and then came back together. I worked at Vanderbilt. Um, I still work at Vanderbilt. I'm still on their payroll there. And so I got to work alongside her as a as a nurse and, and see the amazing nurse that I grew up with function at the bedside and how loving and caring and um, intelligent and competent and you know, we had physicians who testified on the stand that that's who they would want taking care of their family member had they been in that ICU. And I still say to this day, she can provide care for me, my family, anyone I'm close to, because she is one of the most amazing nurses that I've known and have worked with. Um, it was an unfortunate event and unfortunate consequences, um, but an amazing nurse. I will never discredit that. She says to me every now and then, she, I think I even told you this, Erica, after it was over, she said, it's really going to be hard not being a nurse anymore. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. An RN license does not make you a nurse. You're not a licensed nurse, but you will always be a nurse because you have the heart of yeah, a nurse. That's true. Um, yeah. And you've lived that out, right? You, you will never, I never want to hear you say that you're not a nurse. You will always be a nurse. So yeah. um, it's been interesting and it's been interesting to navigate that. I'm very proud of her now. Um, I'm sure Me we'll too. get into, or, or I'm sure you have gotten into on many of your uh, podcasts about where she's at now and all the things that she's doing, but advancing the profession, being the face of, of um, patient safety, of just culture, yeah. of safe medication practices, 
again, she's still a nurse. You know, she that yeah. impact lives on. And so I'm super, super proud of her and all that she's doing uh, to advance the profession. Matthew, were you guys, um, you and Redonda working together at that time that the actual incident occurred or it was prior to that? So it was uh, prior to it. So oh. she and I had worked together. That The incident happened, I think, in 2017. And I had worked at Vanderbilt in 2016. I left and then I came back to Vanderbilt um, right almost immediately before her trial started. Okay. So, and so as much as you are comfortable saying um, in your position, how do you feel that Vanderbilt handled that situation and how it played out? Yeah, I will. Um, I, I'm perfectly comfortable answering that. I think that one of the things I saw from Vanderbilt in that time, especially after the verdict was read, um, they, they held town halls. I don't think that's a secret. I, I think that, you know, some of those were even leaked, even though they were private meetings, but they, I think they were leaked. Um, and so I really appreciated them coming together to try and explain what had happened. Um, there were some very tough questions. Erica, you and I, I think talked about that back yeah. in the time where um, staff were very open with the president of the hospital, um, the legal counsel for the hospital, the chief nursing officer of the hospital, and asking very open, honest, raw questions. Um, and one of the things I've said a lot, because a lot of people have asked me that, right? What, did, what does this look like at Vanderbilt? Um, people were mad. Staff were mad. Um, one of the things that I will say that Vanderbilt's communicated and that put things in a different light for me from that perspective was we've never been here before. A TBI investigator pulled up in front of the hospital, essentially came in and said, you know, we we're, we're we have a subpoena. We're taking all of these documents, um, produce them now. And it's for a criminal trial. And so what I heard our legal counsel say was, you know, I knew certain things were protected civilly, but we've never had a nurse who was tried criminally for an unintentional error, right? We've had nurses who were tried for diversion or, um, you know, DUIs, those kinds of things where there was a little bit of discovery and there were just, we, they may have asked for an employee file or something of that nature, but we had never had an incident where a nurse had an unintentional medical error, medication error, and now there's a criminal trial. So I think it was difficult for Vanderbilt to navigate that. Um, and as you and I've talked about, as I've talked about at Vanderbilt, I'm not saying anything that I haven't told them. I think that there were, it was a learning experience and I, or I hope it was, I hope we've grown yeah. from it. Um, I think there were times that we probably should have stood up for her when we chose to stay seated. Yeah. I think there were times that we should have spoke up for her and for nursing in general. And we chose to stay silent. And honestly, I wasn't privy to those conversations, so I'm not really sure what place that com comes from. I hope, and what I cling to is that that comes from a place of unknown, right? A fear. We've never been here before. We don't know the waters that we're navigating. Um, but I hope moving forward, as this happens again, we've learned from that. And we will see the response that we expect from a top 20 hospital in the nation or a level one tertiary academic medical center. Um, as you know, Erica, I'm the one who asked the question and said, we've seen every major university hospital and every major nursing organization release a statement except for Vanderbilt. Are we going to get mm -hmm. that? 
Yeah. And then it was released the next day. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that there was a lot of learning, a lot of growth. Um, and it's very unfortunate that a nurse had to go through that without that support. Um, but what I can tell you is that she had a tremendous amount of support from bedside staff. <laughs> yeah. So there was an yeah. army. And since, since we're talking about the Redon Devot trial, I, I would be remiss if I did not ask you, because you have an LNC, a legal nurse consulting <laughs> business, and you are actually in law school in addition to being a nurse. Um, please give us your expert uh, opinion of the <laughs> expert nurse in the Redon Devot trial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> How did course. I know this was going to happen? Of course. Maybe because I made com maybe because I made comments about her as she walked down the hallway in front of me. Um, <laughs> I I was very disheartened at the legal nurse consultant, and here's why: she has been doing legal nurse consulting for many many years. I do not personally know her. I have reviewed her resume because it is readily available online. Um. Many legal nurse consultants who are used in higher profile cases have been a nurse for many, many years, sometimes removed from current practice, um, which makes it difficult to give an expert opinion. However, the jury doesn't know that. And as you know, Erica, you and I have talked about um, the artful coaching that a, an attorney gives a testifying expert. For example, in the trial, they ask her, Redonda has a bachelor's in nursing. And so they asked the, the legal nurse consultant what her highest level of education was. And she said, I have a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And that's not a lie. She does have a bachelor's degree. It's in communications. <laughs> it's not in nursing. <laughs> uh, right. But the way the question was asked was, what's your highest level of education? Right. And it's a bachelor's, just not yeah. in nursing. Um, I think what was most disheartening to me is as a practicing bedside nurse who devotes their time and energy into offering a product that is exceptional, right? And I am that product. I, I am a bedside nurse who will do any course, will do any certification that I can do to further my knowledge for bedside practice. Hearing a testifying expert say when they ask, do you have any other credentials that would qualify you to be an expert? And she says, oh, I have ACLS and PALS. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so, so you have the basic minimum certifications that any nurse who works in an ICU should have. Got you. Right. Expert <laughs> level. Expert level right there. Um, I, I really was, I was disheartened with her. I really was. A lot of yeah. what she testified to was not current practice. Correct. Um, you've heard me say this analogy many times. I like to speak through analogies. Um, she comes from a smaller hospital. When you look at her resume, she did not work at a level one academic tertiary medical center. Medicine looks very different inside a large hospital system of that nature. Um, I, so when you compare what Redonda's practice to what practice Donna had, I think that was her name. Mm -hmm. When you compare their practices, it, it's like comparing a banana and a lemon. They're both yellow fruits, but they taste very different when you bite into them. Yeah. Um, for sure. And so I think that was difficult. I will say, I wonder, and I don't know this, this is complete speculation, if they struggled to find a legal nurse consultant 
who would testify against her. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. Because a lot of what I do when I look at a case is if I, if it's, if it's not a case of integrity, if it's a case, I don't believe that believe in. Right. And I would, I do not believe in Redonda's criminal case. Right. I think there are consequences for her action. She knows that she accepted those. I don't think there was criminal action that she should have been tried for. So I would not have testified against her. You're right. Maybe um, that's all they could find. But they were so, told. You're it. <laughs> exactly. I think we scraped the bottom of the barrel. But she is, she's done many, many cases. She's been admitted as an expert many times. So she knows what to say. Um, and And she said it. She showed a little passion. I think that Redonda's she lawyer got angry. her a little angry at times, which she, I love to see. She was very defensive. I loved it. <laughs> but I did say for everyone on the podcast, as she walked by me and the prosecution walked by me, there goes the one of the largest disgraces of nursing you'll ever see. Um, so love yeah. I'm very vocal. I'm I very remember. vocal when it comes to that. Uh, um, spe- speaking of very well vocal, well I believe well. that's your uh, TikTok handle. Is it not? It is. It is. It, I wish I could have posted on there recently. I need to get back to that, you know, between on all the downtime I have. Uh, but yeah, that is my TikTok handle, a very vocal nurse. Um, yeah. And that comes from being told that over and over and over again through my career. You're you're too vocal or you're very vocal or we can't Same. have you being that vocal. Are you so, related? <laughs> I, right? Exactly. Uh, so I chose to like wear that badge of honor, a very vocal nurse. I'll take it. I'll wear that. Yeah. It's Matthew unfiltered. <laughs> it is. I, listen, whew, if he gets really unfiltered, if he had another glass of wine, we would, we could talk for hours. <laughs> we could do one of those podcasts. Maybe the, we'll have Matthew on a second time and just uh, giggle and share stories and crazy stories. Yes. That would be great. I would love to. I would. I mean, I love this flight idea. You know, I love to drink. I'm an. I'm a nurse in law school. What two professions go (laughs) hand in hand when it comes to drinking? Right. (laughs) So everyone, mail me and Nurse Erica a bunch of bottles of wine, and we will sample them. Right, Erica. Okay. Uh, I'm down. On the next uh, nurses uncorked. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad idea, does it? Um. Anyway, Eric, I'll give you my address if you want to forward some of those. <laughs> right? I'll, I'll give exactly. them to you on the cruise coming up. I'll bring them for you. Oh, yes. Because yes. you're going to be an educator on the Nurse Blake cruise in April, right? I am. What are you going to be I teaching? Am. Yep, I'll be teaching three classes. So one of the courses, gosh, I don't have the official titles in front of me, but we'll we'll talk in paraphrase here. Um, so my, one of my courses will be the first 10 minutes of a chest pain presentation. So all of the clinical information you can gain within the critical first 10 minutes of a patient who presents with chest pain. The second course, that'll be an hour long, just a lecture. The second lecture I'll be teaching is navigating MTALA. Um, so I have quite a bit of experience in patient transfer, patient logistics, and the legal side of that, what that looks like. Um, also, we'll be sharing some stories of MTALA violations that I have been involved in. I did not cause, let's preface it with that. I I was not the cause of the violation, but have either had to investigate, be in, in some shape, form, fashion. Um, And then my third is actually a panel um, 
so it's an hour lecture and it is the legal aspects of nursing. And then we'll have the second hour, a five person panel where we'll do a Q&A session. Anyone in the audience can ask questions and the panel will answer them. So I'm super excited. Last year I went on his cruise, phenomenal cruise. Um, there's nothing like being surrounded by family, right? It's 3000 nurses on a boat. It's amazing. So Eric, I was trying to prepare her for it. I'm like, it's so much fun. Cause like everybody can relate to everything. Like it, it's a bunch of people coming together that are living the same, you know, stresses. And it's so nice to see a group of nurses cut loose. I told Erica, you will never see it. Literally. It's like nurses gone wild. These women it is. have a, well, I don't want to say just women. I don't say that, but, uh, all women and men cut loose and it's, it's a good time. Like nice. It's amazing. Fun and not stress. And, it, and it's such an accepting culture, right? Yeah. I, they, every specialty is celebrated. And I think Blake truly pours his heart and soul into that. If you are a, if you are a practicing nurse, you deserve to be celebrated. And that is such a great culture that. to be a part of when you're there. He tells us on the employee side of things, right? Now, I now work for him. Um, and he tells us on that side of things, you know, these these are our consumers and we will celebrate them. They deserve to be celebrated. And he says that in almost every meeting that we're in. So I love being a part of that culture and a part of, of this, essentially this empire that he has built to celebrate those who oftentimes are not appreciated. Well, um, I have to tell everyone, I'm going to embarrass you for a minute um, because you're, you're not okay. just uh, Mr. Smarty Pants educator. But and I've never told you this, but I, I play this weird game in my mind where I think, OK, in an imaginary world, if I were president of the U.S., which clearly that would never happen. But if I was and I had to pick like my cabinet of trusted advisors, who would be in my cabinet? And I, I don't think I've ever Me? talked about this. Yes, you you would be there for the comic relief and to keep me grounded. I mean, oh, Jessica would be the press secretary. That would be good. Yeah. I could see that. You'd be a good press yes, secretary. Yes, yes. I need so, to, I need to hear her Tara to tear a uh, uh, anchorman apart to be like, did you really just ask me that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why so, are you wearing that outfit? You look stupid. In my cabinet, um, there there are several people. Um, one would be my son. He's he's a he's a genius, literally. Um, one would be my good friend, Marion Weber, who you guys may have heard me talk about. She is a, a nurse that um, exposed corruption at Peace Health. And one would definitely be you, Matthew, because you are one of the oh. smartest people, definitely one of the smartest nurses, but one of the smartest people that I know. Um, when I was trying to wrap my mind around this very like vague concept uh, recently, I immediately thought I'm gonna I'm gonna call Matthew because I know he's gonna have some important input on this, and so I, I really respect you, and uh, you're you're gonna be part of my cabinet in my mythical world. Yes, and listen, I'll vote for you, honey. Have you seen what we've been introducing as candidates? Right, I, know. I would I would vote for a clown at this point. Right, like, anybody, anybody else? Oh. Uh, but no, thank you. That means a lot. Um, you and I've had, and I, we've, I don't think I've ever shared this with you. You are also one of my biggest inspirations because you and I have had many conversations where you say things that I can't. Um, yeah. And 
we will talk, we, I'm sure we will talk about that <laughs> throughout the podcast, but things that I can't say or can't do, um, I know that you can and you will, and you're not scared to do that. And I love mm-hmm. how it, you, Nurse Jessica, m- multiple nurse influencers, how fear have a fierce of an advocate you are for the profession. And then also for the nurse, the person right behind the title. Um, because I see you fight for people on a regular basis who are going through so much injustice, whether that be in their profession, in their life, whatever that may be. So you're also a, a huge, Thank huge you. inspiration to me. And I, will be honored to be on your cabinet as long Thank as you. nurse Jessica is press secretary. So if you're new to this podcast, every week we interrupt rudely in the middle at any moment. That's, that's what we do. And we go into the problem of the week. It's something that um, a nurse has sent in or I, I, I hate that I always say nurse, anybody in healthcare, healthcare worker, somebody has sent us a problem that they're asking a question and they, want to know the answer problem of the week i actually presented this question to you earlier this week erica and i don't think you had tons of input so i'm going to read it here um maybe matthew has some advice for this lovely lady who sent me this question i didn't know how to answer it so of course me like a ding dong i'm like i'll ask erica (laughs) (laughs) so i messaged her today and i told her it would be the question on the podcast so to stay tuned so All right, here we go. So I work for the University of Maryland medical system. There's a Facebook group for Maryland nurses. One nurse who works for my system said that if you work at multiple facilities, they are changing pay without permission and averaging the pay between the facilities. Some of them were paying less, like one hospital offered me $38 while I was making 42 at another location. We all kind of felt like this may be a law violation. I did work at the two facilities, but had the same rate, and one was unionized, so that would never fly. Also, wouldn't they have to account for hours cumulatively between facilities so that you are making OT if they are just adjusting pay based on other, or if they're adjusting pay based on other facilities? I I, I don't know okay. the answer to this question. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely want Matthew's input on this, but I will say that always with these questions, um, my, my first answer is you need to check the individual laws for your state because labor laws differ state to state. Overtime laws differ state to state. Some states don't even address overtime at all. Uh, so you need to do the homework for your specific state. Um, now, of course, if there's some of the facilities are unionized, that's going to go by their collective bargaining agreement. There's no way around that. My right. my instinct is that for the non-unionized one, if you are an employee of an overarching system that works at multiple facilities, I would think, yeah, they probably have the legal right to average that pay. It's it's messed up. They shouldn't do that. They're taking advantage of you. But I, I would think they're not breaking any laws. But what, what do you think, Matthew? Um. So I'm going to preface this with I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> yet. Um, I agree that they need to look it up in their state. Right. Yet. Three more years. Just three. Um, that they need to look it up in their state. I, I think that you're correct. And is there an overarching structure? So, for example, if you work at, I'm just going to use Vanderbilt because we've already talked about them. If you work at Vanderbilt, you're an employee of Vanderbilt University Medical Center, no matter which of the five adult hospitals you work at. Okay. So if that's the case, then you have 
essentially one organization. And so your contract, regardless of which of those five hospitals you're with, your employment contract with them is a blanket across all five hospitals. Um, And what they can do is they can reserve the right to say, if you're going to be working in a secondary job code, then you're going to get paid a different, different set amount of money when you're in this pay scale versus, or in this role versus in this role. And, but you have to agree to that, right? We, they can't just say, oh, I'm going to decrease your pay. You, You have to know that up front. They have to be honest and transparent about that. Averaging pay. I, I don't know that that is completely legal or okay. Um, because you didn't agree to have your pay averaged. So if, and let's say you're going to work at this, the the parent hospital today, and then tomorrow you're going to work at the regional campus, but it's a separate entity and you have a separate job code, then you're not going to get overtime because they're set up as separate entities. Right. Right. Like it's like working a second PRN job, even though they're both owned by the same overarching company. Um, I don't, I, I would, I don't think I could fathom or come up with a way in my head where it is okay to take the salary of both and average them together to come up with a new number. If that's how I'm understanding the question, right? Right, yeah. Especially if they, um, if they've already, like you're saying, agreed to these rates and then, right. To, and, and that's what they've agreed to and signed saying that they're going to come on. And then to all of a sudden just have them switch it on them does not right. seem right. Now the whole part about one being unionized and, the other is not, I think definitely puts a wrench in things. It makes it a lot more complicated, well, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and that makes me think that they're separated. Yeah. That makes me think that they're separate entities because if they were not separate entities, both should be unionized, but the union should cover the system. If right. they're not, not, not necessarily like separate entities. There's, there's hospitals under the same system and organizational umbrella that have some unionized facilities and some not that happens. And some not. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it complicating though, because what you're saying is the rate of pay could be they negotiate for that, like the union comes up with certain things that that the other facilities that don't have a union representing them would have a different right. pay. Yeah. So that's that makes it tricky, I would I would think. I mean Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's, I, I've never worked at a unionized hospital. I'm in the southeast. We don't yeah, have those over either. here. You could <laughs> so I'm you just could. gonna you could. I'm gonna keep this stoic face on at the moment. Um <laughs> <laughs> we we don't have those. They don't exist here. Um, however, you can always ask your union rep, right, mm-hmm. of the larger hospital. Sure. Yeah. They would be able to help you navigate those waters as well to say, especially if they're averaging it and it's affecting your pay at the unionized hospital, your right. union rep is definitely going to be involved and be a source of um, knowledge there to be like either, yeah. yes, this is okay under your contract because, or no, this is grossly not okay. and here's how we're going to change it. Um, yeah. So look up those laws, talk to that, you talk to your union representative at the hospital that you're at um, yeah. and see what that is. I, the averaging pay is what gets me. Yeah. I understand having two different pay scales for two different jobs at two different hospitals. I don't know how the averaging comes into play. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, All right. that concludes the, uh, the problem of the week. So I, I, I was going to take over the next question because I'm that's what I told Eric I was going to do because I was ready. And Let's do it. This is piggybacking off of last week. We talked about um, workplace violence and we talked about nursing burnout. 
um, and all those things that kind of all go hand in hand, unfortunately. So one question I was going to ask you, Matthew, is um, can we talk about any of your experience about being physically assaulted by a provider? Is that something you're able to talk about? I'm a provider, not sure. a patient, a provider. I'll protect his anonymity and I won't say his name is William Vashon and he practices at the medical center in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, and if you Google his name that you may find his mugshot on Google, Ooh, I won't say any right, of that to protect his anonymity. However, <laughs> As I'm um, so yes, <laughs> exactly. And share screen. Um, <laughs> it did not end well. It did not end well. For me, actually, um, not for him. I don't know that there were any consequences for him. So to just tell you a little bit about this story, I had a patient came in. Patient was elderly in their 90s, told me they had had some dizziness, shortness of breath for a little while. I go to hook them up to do an EKG. It's an obvious stimming. It, I think it was an inferior, if I'm remembering correctly. And so as I turn around to hit the staff assist button in the triage room, which is no larger than really a closet, it's tiny. The patient takes a huge agonal respiration and codes in front of me and, of she, and they're on the EKG, right? So I can see that they're in V-fib. I, I can see that. So I start CPR in the chair. Cause I, again, we're in a closet. I can't get them into the floor. We get on the stretcher um, provider runs out, which I don't know why <laughs> I didn't need him, but anyway, he runs out <laughs> uh, <laughs> and checks her pulse. And he's like, she has a pulse. So I'm checking a carotid, another nurse of mine, another colleague of mine is, down at on the patient's at their femoral artery and she looks at me and I look at her and I'm like I don't have a pulse she's like neither do I and I'm like I'm starting CPR so we continue CPR we get to the room she's still in VFib we're doing the whole ACLS protocol we shocked her three times the provider says give her amiodarone one of my other colleagues pulls out a vial of amiodarone and draws it up and I said the initial dose is 300 that should be two vials can you go ahead and drop a second vial and the provider says they're 90 something years old it's not going to matter anyway just give them 150 well, that's not very normal. Oh, correct. And the patient's oh. family was at the bedside. Oh, oh. So I said, okay, I was just trying to follow ACLS protocol. <laughs> but if you want to do 150, okay. so we give 150, we shock her a fourth time, we get him back. She has a heartbeat. She's in a third degree heart block um, with a rate of like 30, 35-ish. My nursing colleague who is over on the defibrillator says, "Do you? would you like for me to pace them? Mm -hmm. And the provider says, no. And I said, okay, well, would you like us to give atropine? It typically is ineffective with a third degree heart block, but we'd be, you know, we can try. And he said, no, set me up for intubation. Well, as we know, if you're an ICU nurse and, or an ER nurse and you go to intubate someone who already has a low heart rate, you may stimulate their vagal nerve. Mm -hmm. And we're back where we started. She's now coding again because she has no re reserve. And so we continue to do the resuscitation. and. um I said, and I, and I will concede that I said it as a statement versus a question. I said, I'll give her a half an, a half an amp of epinephrine. She responds well to epi. I said it as a statement, but phonetically it sounded like a question, right? Like, well, I can, I'll give her a half an amp of epi. She responds to epi. And he, his response was, you won't give her anything. Oh, and so I looked at the charge nurse across the room from me and I said, this obviously is not productive. I'm going to go back to triage. I'm going to dismiss myself from this situation. So an hour later, I come and bring him an EKG. 
on a 20 something year old who came in with anxiety, but had chest pain. And he said, you need to come with me, young man. And I said, oh, I do. (laughs) And so he took me to a locked part of the emergency department. Oh boy. And initially the door was behind me. So like the exit was behind me and he was in front of me, um, got in my face, started yelling, screaming, told me I would not question his orders ever again. Um, that I don't talk to him that way, that I don't have a medical license. And I essentially, I said, I'm not having this conversation with you at this moment. I will be happy to talk about anything that I said and justify anything that I said or did, but you will not yell at me. You will not get in close proximity to my body and you will not cuss me. I'm a grown man. Right. Back off. Like we can have professional conversation. And he goes, then he chest bumps me. And says, well, what are you going to do about it? He chest bumped you. And I, what? Uh-huh. No, chest yes. Bump. He did not. Yeah. And yeah. so then I, 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 I swear, Bring it. I swear, um, chest bumps me and says, what are you going to do about it? And I thought to myself, oh, he was well, I'm going to fight you. Yeah. I'm going to fight. I've never been in a physical altercation in my life, but now I see red. Right. And I said, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. And I turned around to walk away and he ran around and got in front of me and pushed me backwards to like back into the room Oh my god! in my face, um, like nose to nose. I thought, <laughs> and here is a common mistake of most nurses, that the hospital would have my back. Yeah. Oh, mm. yeah. Right. Yeah. That was your first mistake. So then yep. he used his, right. So then he uses his body to block the door and won't let me out. Every time I try to go around him, he's chest bumping me. And I finally get out of this. I had to yell for help. I had to yell for the charge nurse. When she came around the corner, he like stepped back and looked around the door and I was able to get around him. Called administration immediately. I think this was at like 3 a.m. in the morning. Called them immediately. Uh, My director said, I will support you in pressing charges if you would like to. And I said, here's the second mistake. I trust that the hospital will do the right thing Mm -hmm. in taking care of this. Um, And so I didn't call the police. I should have. I should have sued him civilly for assault mm-hmm. and battery, but I didn't. Um, learning lesson, right? Look back at that now. Yeah. Um, so this happened three more times. It wasn't physical, but it was a verbal altercation of where he told me one time to get my ass up and get the fuck out of his emergency department. Um, he cussed a charge nurse because she assigned me to a pod that he was overseeing. And all of this came after administration sent me a nice letter that said we had to work together professionally and collaboratively. Mm-mm essentially no um there were other things that happened like in the meeting about it he said that i made um if you don't know this we're recording now i think we talked about it before we recorded i'm openly gay that's not easy to be an openly gay male in the south um and he said he makes grossly inappropriate homosexual comments and my manager said i'm gonna stop you right there (laughs) there's a line and you're over it yeah like we're not talking about his conduct at this moment and for, and his sexuality has nothing to do with this, his sexual orientation. So no, we're, we're not going into that. Good. Um, when I had a meeting later with HR, HR said, well, that was never in, that was never in the incident report. And I said, Oh, we'll pick the phone up and we'll call my manager because if he's going to lie to you about it, he can lie to you about it while I'm sitting in the room with you. Oh no, 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 no. We don't need to do that. Of course. Not. Right. Cause it's there. Right. It's there. Because you know that essentially I have an amazing lawsuit (laughs) and you don't want to give me anything. And had I known then what I know now, um, 
I would have sued. But yeah, hindsight yeah. is always twenty twenty. It's like, oh, why hindsight is twenty twenty. Why didn't I do that? Yep. Yeah. Or, or if I wasn't going to, why did I not just deck him? Yeah, <laughs> right. At least you. Why did I not just deserved it. engage in it? And, yeah. Um, At that point, you would have been protecting yourself, so you would have had absolutely the right to do absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, and it's so interesting. I still have. So when I filed that incident report, I took. I had my cell phone, right, and so I was taking pictures of all of the incident report screens. So I still mm-hmm. have those pictures of where I filed the incident report, the letters that the hospital sent to me. Um, I still have all of that. He still works there. I obviously do not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but. That's- Crazy. He is still employed and he is still a practicing physician. And mm-hmm. I hope that I put him through enough red tape after doing it that he never, ever, ever considers putting his hands on a nurse again. Um, but that happens. I mean, that happens. That's it happens it nurses all over it the does, country. I am not an isolated event. It no. does. And, seen it and unfortunately, it costs more to, to replace a physician than it does to replace a nurse. So guess who no longer works there? And Exactly. He the still boss, does. Yeah. The totem pole. We're the yeah. acceptable ones. That's why. Yep. That's what All right. So, so sharing that personal story. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the future of nursing in your perception. Um, so <laughs> we've, we've got uh, nurses that graduated during the pandemic and post-pandemic. Um all the legal ramifications of that and and what does a a reasonable and prudent nurse look like today compared to the past i know that's a lot yeah um again i'll no that no it's okay and, and again i'll say this i'm not a lawyer right this is not legal yet. advice <laughs> uh, but i get <laughs> in three years i can charge you for it uh, um it's an interesting concept, right? And it's a concept that I've looked at as an LNC many times. I was lucky that I came out of nursing school in 2014. I got my license in 2015. The nurses who precepted me had been nurses for 25 plus years. I had excellent, excellent preceptors who I, I was lucky, essentially. That's what I'm saying. I was lucky. I had nurses who to this day, I would let take care of me, my family, anyone. Um, Phenomenal, phenomenal examples of what a nurse looks like, a bedside nurse looks like. Um, Fast forward, and now you've got intra-pandemic nursing students who are doing clinicals on a simulated game who are not touching patients. And then they graduate and they come out and they're introduced to nursing and expected to acclimate, but they're given a preceptor who has less than a year's of experience themselves. Um, and I called this, I, I said this many times and my college professor told me, you need to coin that term. I need you to write some type of something so, and phrase this. Nurses who were at the end of their career who were working because they wanted to work, not because they had to work, left. They're, they're like, I'm not doing this. You don't have PPE for me. You're telling me to wear a garbage bag. Right. And I've got 500, 600 K sitting in my retirement. Peace out. I am right. not doing this. And so they all left the bedside. So all you have to train these individuals are new graduates. So from an LNC perspective, what does this look like for me is how do I evaluate the standard of care? Yes, we have a scope of practice of nursing. Each state has one, right? We have legal 
statutes that govern nursing practice in every state. We have a licensing body, but remember that the NCLEX only tests the minimal competence of a nurse with one month of experience, or at least I think that's what it was when I took it. You're, we're not looking to make to see if this is the smartest nurse who's ever went to nursing school. We're looking for a minimal competence to care for a patient, and it's all knowledge-based. It's not skill-based. There's no skills portion to the NCLEX. So, you know, essentially anybody can memorize information. It's harder to apply it, but anybody can memorize things if they work hard enough at it. So from an LNC perspective, I look at if I have a nurse who's done something that they fully had no idea was not within the standard. And then you start looking at their background. This is more for a defense side of things, right? Defending mm -hmm. the nurse, not on the, the plaintiff side of suing the nurse, but on the defense side. I had a nurse who had subpar education because they went to nursing school during the pandemic. They never touched a patient. They played a video game. And as we all know, there's nothing about a video, like a video game in nursing practice. On, yeah. Right regardless of whatever research we skewed to say it was so that we could do it. <laughs> right. Like right. it's not the same. Right. Um, then they were trained by a nurse who had less than a year of experience who themselves have really no idea yet how to be a nurse because they just got out. You should have a six month orientation as a new graduate. So I, I get you through your six month of orientation. I let you practice for six months and I say, Oh yeah. And by the way, here, teach this new person. You don't even know how to be a nurse yet. And so you have this whole sequela of subpar education. And that's not necessarily the practitioner's fault. It's not the nurse's fault that they, right. you know, grew up in the pandemic. So how do you hold them to that legal standard? How do I hold them to the same legal standard of, say, myself, who went to an excellent nursing school, who had amazing preceptors, who has practiced for 14 years, you know, as a, I've not been in nursing for 14 years, but I've been in healthcare for 14 or 15 years. I've been a nurse for now nine going on 10. How do you compare those two practices? We grew in very different environments. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that as a legal world, right? In my legal LNC world, that we've even talked about that as a legal nurse consultant world, because I don't you don't think see we have medical that malpractice cases usually. No, I don't think we have either. And you don't see cases that, that come up until two to five years, right? After the incident occurred typically. So we're just now going to start seeing intra-pandemic cases where this may come up, where we have to look at, was the nurse, did, did the nurse violate the standard of care? And if so, did they do it maliciously, recklessly? Wantonly? As you know, Redonda got tried with, with recklessness. That was one of the, mm -hmm. the things that it was, her behavior wasn't intentional, but it was reckless. Well, in order for behavior to be reckless, you should have known how to do it properly and then chose to have done it not in the proper manner. Right. So what does that look like if you were never taught proper, proper, you know, skill sets or right. proper knowledge? I really think that we're going to get into an area where it muddies the waters. Um, and as you know, Erica, your son's in law school. I'm in law school. We talk mm -hmm. a lot about Torts, and I do think there are patients who are entitled to compensation for things that we have done to them in a hospital setting. Um, they lose their life, they lose a limb, they uh, those things happen, and it's because it sometimes at the hands of a nurse, sometimes at the hands of a provider, sometimes at the hands of a respiratory therapist, and their families deserve compensation. But on the defense side of that, we're getting to into an era of having to look at: is this nurse to blame, 
or is it a larger system failure that comes back to the environment and the product that produced this nurse? Um, so it's, it's an interesting concept. It's, it's, it is super interesting. And then so fascinating. And I think moving forward, we're going to see more of this because what we're seeing, right. And listen, this is all anecdotal at the bedside. I, I get research. I see it every day. I see it on both sides. That's why I don't sometimes believe it. I, right. I see research that says there's a massive nursing shortage. I see research that says there's not a nursing shortage. There's just a lack of practicing nurses. Mm-hmm. I see research that say, do this at the bedside. I see research that says this is ineffective at the bedside. You, you go either way, right? You have to take research. I say this lovingly with a grain of salt. You have to kind of take it considering the whole body of it mm-hmm. and come to like a well-rounded view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I see is nurses leaving the bedside as quickly as they can. So this, this yeah. diminishing phenomenon of diminishing experience looks to be perpetual. Yeah. That this is just where we're at as an industry from this point forward. You have nurses who come out, they're so excited to be a nurse. They get to the bedside, they become a punching bag, which that's a whole nother story for everybody known to man, you know, the patient's mad at you, administration's mad at you, lab's mad at you, radiology's mad at you, the patient's family's mad at you, the police are mad at you. Like, there's no one supporting you. You just are the punching bag for everybody. And they say, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to practice this in this environment. And they either leave the profession as a whole yep. or they go into a role that's outside of the bedside. So when you look at that from an LNC perspective or from a legal perspective, you have to come back to, and this is what I've said at hospitals, and we'll talk a little bit, I'm sure, more about my experience here in a little bit, but where I have said to administration, we have to develop, because what I'm going to ask in court as a testifying expert, is, or, or what I'm going to recommend my lawyer to ask in cross-examination is, post-pandemic, has your hospital uh, it placed any emphasis on education of new practicing nurses? that differed from the pre-pandemic because mm-hmm. what hospitals are going to say is, Oh yeah, we have a nurse residency program. Did that exist pre-pandemic? Well, yeah, it did. How have you changed that to meet the intra and the post-pandemic right. era of nursing? Well, we've not. Well, it's obviously different. So if you've not done that, then there's negligence on the part of the hospital, right? Um, I'm going to ask those hard questions. And so I, I've said numerous times as an industry, we have to, from a managerial and leadership perspective, bolster the growth of these nurses and truly invest in education because the education that these nurses are getting formally is not the same education that I received. And the, the, the preceptorship that they're getting at the bedside is not the same that I got. Yeah. So to save ourselves from litigation, the nurse and the organization, we have to bolster support, you know, and that comes in various different ways, psychological support, because being a nurse is tough. Yeah. Nursing is a yes, tough, sir. tough profession. So, you know, more EAP involvement uh, of more psychological help for nurses, more availability to that. There's some organizations who don't even have that available. So having that availability of therapy, um, getting to talk to people about that, the education services, truly espousing time off to promote a work-life balance, mm-hmm. breaks at work. These are all things that we're not seeing, right? These are all things that as an industry as a whole, we're not seeing those. So you have nurses who are trained at subpar levels, getting subpar education when they acclimate to bedside practice in subpar environments, and we expect them to provide exceptional care. That is an unrealistic expectation. Like we have to come to this, we have to come to this conclusion that 
as an industry, what we're doing is not working. <laughs> we yeah. have to change that or else there's not going to be a healthcare industry. There's not going to be bedside nurses. Right. Um, I know like I, I, this came anecdotally as well. I didn't see the research on it, but I, I was told, I don't know that this is true, but two years ago, I think for the first time in Kentucky history, there were less applicants to nursing school than nursing seats available. That never wow, happens. Nursing really? was a super competitive program. I was told that. I, again, I won't put money on that, right? Just take that with a grain of salt. But that's what I was told by someone who was close to, to See, that knowledge. That because people are getting scared. They're hearing all the stories yeah. about nurses leaving. That's why I think I've asked Erica that a few times and, and I have wondered. I'm like, when are we going to start seeing that? Like those numbers going down because... A lot of, I hear from young nursing students that are like in nursing school thinking about just getting out of nursing school. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they're yeah. Yeah. crazy stuff. So that's gotta be, that's gotta be something that's starting to turn around too. I, I would, I would expect. Absolutely. Maybe. It's, and I don't even, I don't even recommend, I tell people now, cause they say, I think that was one of my questions on the list, Erica, do you recommend nurse people going to nursing school? Mm -hmm. And my new answer to that is this. First of all, have you ever worked in healthcare? <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you know what you're getting into? Have you right. ever worked as a nursing assistant or a scribe or even an ER registration clerk? Or have you ever worked in healthcare period where you actually get to see what it looks like from an inside perspective? And if that answer is yes, then I say, then do you know that nursing is your passion? Right. Do you see this and think this is what I want to do? This is what I've always wanted to do because it was my passion. It, yeah. It's still my passion in a sense. Like, I still wish I could be the nurse that I want to be. It's just mm -hmm. the environment limits it. Isn't that oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. So frustrating. Breaks your heart. So I tell people, if you, yeah. don't, if you don't know that nursing is your passion, I cannot recommend it as a profession. Good I, answer. I, it's not something that I can say, you need to go into this because it is fantastic. You're going to be completely fulfilled. Even if it is your passion, they're going to suck that passion out of you. Like, seriously. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I say that jokingly, but. Do you realize honestly what the culture of nursing is right now? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Right. You have yeah. all of those questions answered and you still want to do it, then hey, go for it. You know, but people right. ask me, are you gonna go back to bedside? And my answer is not right now. Not the way things yeah. are now. Nope. Yeah. I, I Absolutely. It's and yeah. it's you know, I told Erica today I'm in law school and I just because I have all this free time, I just signed up to take real estate classes. <laughs> Oh, it's it's because I'm limited. I, my passion is dimmed, right? That light that I have for nursing yeah. that I love has been snuffed out. Someone just took a little candle snuffer and said, oh, that's cute. <laughs> we don't want to see that anymore. That's it's, how it feels. It's rough. I mean, it does. Nursing has transitioned. I love what I do. I love getting to take care of people. I love getting to affect lives and quality of life. I love giving people hope. I love giving people support in some of the most vulnerable times of their lives. Um, but when you feel as if you're investing into a profession, that's not investing into you as a professional, mm -hmm. you yeah. become really dim and really jaded really quickly. Yeah. That's what um, I say. You're investing in to a profession that, you know, that they're not in They're not giving it back. They're not investing back into you. And that's, that's where this whole, uh, you know, I call it like, just put, like you're saying, putting your light out. That's what, that's what happens. Did you just feel yeah. like, yeah. how am I going to give so much when nobody's giving even a smidge of that back to me? I use this, 
Absolutely. I use this analogy. I think actually Eric and I talked, Eric and I talk regularly. We, we have like three hour conversations mm-hmm. when we both just need to vent. Uh, and so I spoke with her lately and I use this analogy and she's like, Oh, I love that. I told this to a, a senior executive one time as I was quitting a job. Um, I said, have you ever seen someone drown? And she just kind of looked at me and I said, it's amazing because they always, they always muster up enough strength to get their hand above water. Mm-hmm. And they could literally be in the middle of the ocean, but when their hand breaks the surface, they pray and hope that someone is above that surface to pull them out so that they don't drown. And what I've been doing, and in essence, what I think the profession is currently doing is we have been treading water for so long that our head is now under. Oh, it's And tough. every time we yeah. muster up enough strength to get our hand above the the surface, we see people standing there, right? Mm -hmm. We see these people who can effectuate change. We see them above the surface. And instead of grabbing our hand and pulling us up, they pat us on the hand and say, you're doing great. Keep treading. Yep. Look at you. Until we drown. You're amazing. Look at you take 10 med search patients. So good. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing great. And we'll we'll buy you pizza. Yeah. How do you Mm -hmm. do that? Anyways, I got to get back to my office. Bye. Yeah. I want to put you on the spot for a second um, and read you something. Okay. Um, And this is along the lines of a generational gap between uh, nurses, which is something that I'm, I've always been super um, passionate and interested in. I think there needs to be a lot more research into that, but uh, this is a post recently that I came across and I would just like your um, knee jerk reaction to this. So I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Uh, I am disturbed by what I'm reading about going to work in inclement weather. When you were in school, you should have been educated about essential personnel in nursing 101. I'm sorry if your school was happy to take your money and not address this concept, but we as nurses are considered essential personnel, just like EMT, firefighters, police. I'm reading a lot about how we shouldn't have to drive in inclement weather and we should stay home as our families come first. If you have an issue with this, then you are in the wrong profession. Yes, you as a nurse are called on sometimes to be the hero. If you can't do the work, if you can't, then you need to go work in a doctor's office or something else. If you want the hospital environment, then go in early before the storm and pack your bag. Our generation did what former nurses did. We saved lives, not took them. If you are worried about your license constantly, then you are at the wrong place. Thoughts? Wow. That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. First of all, the language of that is 100% inflammatory and gaslighting. Yes. Um, Exactly what I was thinking. Gaslighting. Like, no, that you just attempted to guilt a nurse into risking their life or you're trying to guilt nurses into risking Mm -hmm. their life. Do I think that there are pearls of truth in that, that essentially someone has to be at the hospital, right? Someone has to take care of individuals. We are humans taking care of humans. And do I think that there is some level of a professional responsibility as a nurse to try and plan or to ensure that you can make your shift because on the other end of that, you'll hear me a lot talk about the product. And unfortunately, my product is not a burger. My product has a heartbeat and breathes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that, that is what I give you is life, essentially. And so I do think that there is a professional responsibility of a of formulating a plan and attempting to get there. 
that there is never a job on the face of this planet that is worth risking your own life. That is the only thing that you have. Thank you. And it is very limited. Yep. And so if, if you made a plan and that plan didn't work, um, I take the, take the little wrist smack, right? Take the hand smack. Um, I'm sure Erica will reveal more about me here at the end. Um, well, your manager can put on some scrubs, <laughs> right? Right. Like, yeah. So, so let, let's, can, let's reveal, scrubs. let's reveal the real, the real Matthew, um, Garvey. Uh, I did not, oh, yes. <laughs> I, I did not give, um, uh, all of your impressive accolades at the beginning, but you have a veritable alphabet soup that comes after your name. And I'm always joking that you're running out of room on your, uh, business cards. So I- I'm just going to read. It's not a joke anymore. DNP, MBA, RN, EMTB, CCRN, CEN, TCRN, QRS, LMNOP, and all the rest. And in law school. And hey. in law school. That's yeah, amazing. So- <laughs> Kudos to you. Thank you. I'm um, very proud. Honestly, that's a lot of work. That's a thank lot. you. It is. It has been. And what it's interesting that Erica asked me this question. I have a feeling she chose it for me because I've spent, I'm at the bedside now, but I've spent the last four to five years of my career in leadership. Mm-hmm. So because I was inspired to do such by things such as getting assaulted by a provider, right. Yeah. To make that change. Now I've been in most of my leadership positions, short periods of time because I'm vocal. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily what Same. administrators like to hear. They don't like someone who speaks up. However, I do, and I'll never, I'll never not do that. Um, no, I, I, obviously, this was written by a nursing leader. It's disgusting. It's inflammatory. It is gaslighting. Mm-hmm. What this nurse should have said is, yes, there is a professional responsibility to attempt to make it into work. Here is what the hospital organization is doing in their emergency response plan that you should work inside of or that can assist your plan to make sure you get here. But if you cannot, and, and even if you were just silent on this aspect of it, I, I, as an administrator, I will always, or as a nursing leader, I will always tell my staff, I never want you to risk your life, period. Yeah. Same in like it, with aggressive patients. If yeah. a patient's trying to hurt you, let them walk out. There's police. There are people who get paid hazard pay to do this. Right. Right. We never signed that agreement. So if someone is in their right mind, like there's obviously in situations where there's Alzheimer's, that kind of yeah. thing psychosis where yes, we are subjected to it. Um, but if a patient's in their right mind and they're threatening you, see you later, let them go. Yeah. Like yes. walk out. No. It is not worth my life. That comes with experience. And it's kind of what we were talking about before new nurses easily get intimidated. Unfortunately, you know, like you, right? and the, the gaslighting mm-hmm. leads you to believe like you were saying that a, you're going to get in trouble for walking out or B I'm going to stick here and make sure that they're okay because I know my my administration is going to take care of me. They're going to have my back. They're going to see me through this. And none of that is true, or it rarely is. Um, none of that right. is true. And you you live and you learn, unfortunately. Um, yeah, and most leaders won't tell you that. Most leaders won't tell you the truth. They tell you what they want you to hear so that you can be yeah. at work. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. And you, and you do more with less. That's the new... That's the new lean model of yeah. uh, healthcare that we are in. Do more with less it is. and don't say anything about it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sad. Any, any, um, parting words, uh, advice for nurses these days, whether they are new nurses or, um, they've been around a minute. Yeah. Just a real simple advice is find a Jessica who works at your organization or find an Erica who works at your organization or find a Matt (laughs) who works at your organization. Mm -hmm. Um, find people who are not scared to be an advocate, who are not scared to be a voice. Um, people who can support you and empower you as a professional. Sometimes, sometimes you can find that in administration. I know of one CNO who I love dearly. She is one of my best friends. She was my mentor for my DNP. She's absolutely phenomenal. She is a vocal nurse as well. She got to where she's at um, over a very slow, long period of time, but she is absolutely phenomenal. She's an anomaly that normally doesn't happen. You normally don't find people like me, like Jessica, like Erica in administrative roles. So find those mentors at the bedside or in whatever realm you're in, right? If you're in home health, wherever you're at, find a mentor who is not afraid to support you, not afraid to empower you and not afraid to speak up for the profession and to say, this is wrong. This is wrong. No, we're not going to do this. This is wrong. Or... And especially if you're a bedside nurse, you're going to call that provider back and tell them that they are coming to the bedside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to call this, you're going to call and tell them there's, it's not a question. You're coming, you're on call. The patient's sick. You're going to be here. I'm going to chart it that way, or I'm going to call it, go up the chain of command. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call the house administrator who calls whoever mm-hmm. I will enact the chain of command. Unless I see you at the bedside. In Amen. Amen. Exactly. Like, <laughs> You're going to have to find those people who hype you up, talk you up and say, if nobody else in this building has your back, I got you. You know, I got the sad you. part is that people like us intimidate administration. And then that's when they have oh, a way to try to for get sure. us out. That's yeah. Listen, I know me and Erica, I just interviewed that um, before, but you mm-hmm. know, the people that, that are the ones that are the spokespeople for the unit, or I've been through all of that. Um, they try to find a way to get you out of there because they don't want you to spread the information. Absolutely. Yeah. I just interviewed for a an, uh, leadership position. Erica knows this because we talked about it and I called her an event. Um, and the CNO chose to go get her oil changed instead of attending my interview in person. <laughs> and then the job was given to someone who didn't meet the minimum job qualifications. Amazing nurse. Amazing nurse. Like it's nothing against her. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with who they want in positions and how they want to position themselves. I talked to Erica. Has nothing to do. Yeah. Has nothing to do with what's going to be best for the organization. Right. Best for the patients. It's all about who's going to do this. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I support you. Yeah. Something happens when they, most people go in a minute. It's like they get brain zapped. Like they turn into this like robot. That's like soulless. And they're just like on autopilot. And I would say for the most part, I, there are exceptions, like you were saying. I don't want to say right. every person in leadership is is awful. There are some good ones, but Absolutely. the majority, I don't know what happens. I can't imagine they were like that their whole life, but I can they tell were you. Sad. I, I can tell but you I what happens. A, um, I think there's an element of, well, you tell the, your opinion, Erica, and then I'll, I'll quickly say mine. Yeah, this is a phenomenon I witnessed firsthand because when I was first uh, promoted from bedside to an, a nurse manager, um, they they did a, a hospital wide restructuring, and so there was uh, several of us that were promoted at the same time 
from bedside to our first management position. And, and I can tell you, all of us went into it with the, the right motivation, wanting to affect change, uh, wanting to, you know, be the catalyst and be there for their staff and, you know, all the, all the right things. And um, I witnessed every last damn one of them practically one by one fall by the wayside and become that nurse manager that is, you know, a caricature, right? That is the meme that we've all seen and had to deal with, unfortunately. Um, the pressure that is put on lower mid management is an impossible situation. And I'm not here to defend it um, or compare it because, you know, nothing comes close to uh, what frontline staff does. But I will tell you that the pressure put on you at that position is impossible and it is unbearable. You are given little to no power, um, but yet you are expected to move mountains and you are getting it from both directions. You're getting it from admin down and you're getting it from um, bedside staff up and it all stops with you. Uh, I know that I personally, in that transitionary time, I was brought into rooms with my CNO, with my ACNO, where doors were locked and I was threatened and they were in my face. And uh, I could tell you a million stories. Um, the, the pressure is immense and you are told in no uncertain terms, you either will comply or we will find someone else to take your place. And so it really becomes like survival of the fittest, you know, um, and it's, it's, do I want to keep my job or do I want to be fired? And, and that's it, that's it. And so when you are beaten down long enough, consistently enough you eventually get to a point where you just you just give up. And the the only thing I would add to that, that's all exactly what I was going to say, is that you're pressured into that. You're placed in a pressure cooker, mm -hmm. essentially, and you're cooked down into that version of a leader that they expect you to be. Um, and then I will say that what I've noticed is, you know, when I went from a leadership position back to the bedside, I took a $40,000 pay cut. Yeah. yeah. Leaders are paid well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're, they're paid well to that's entice true. you to be corporate friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So and it's hard to I give that up. Make a hundred and right. At, when I make $120,000 a year, whatever it may be, that's an abstract number I just pulled out of the air. But when I make $120,000, it's way harder for me to say no to the person who writes that check as it is if I made $78,000 mm -hmm. and I could say no to that person because my next job's also going to pay $70,000. Like, yeah, there's a huge loss when you go from leadership back to the bedside um, in just salary. And they use that as Thank a you. manipulation tool. Like Erica said, if you don't comply, then you're fired or you'll go back to the bedside and you'll make a charge nurse's salary. And we're going to take away I mean, all your seniority. If you go back to bedside, we're going to take all yes. that away. You're going to be back on night shift. You're going to, you're going to have the worst yep. schedule as if you're a new grad PTO. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it's yep. bad. Staff PTO. You're no longer going to get the leadership PTO plan. You're no longer going to get the employee stock plan. You're not like you get nothing. They use all those things, right? You get nothing. Yeah. And I've never worked in a job where I got a bonus, but you're also not going to get a bonus. Yeah. So every week, Matt, we do um, away an enema award and it's just to somebody in nursing that deserves an enema. That's the best way we could describe it. Just somebody that's horrible and that, deserves to have a rotor rooter or something. We don't know. A deep cleansing because they've got Coffee evil grounds, stuff inside of them. Soap suds. So 
don't yeah. feel who's giving the enema to this week, but I could be wrong, but I think I know Erica. So yeah, let, let's give our award away. Okay, so I've recently been talking about a nursing strike at Kapiolani Medical Center in Hawaii. And, um, and, you know, it's it's really a three-way tie between Kapiolani Medical Center management admin, um, the Honolulu Police Department, and their um, news network there, Hawaii News Now. Um, But if I had to pick one, um, because they're all corrupt, right, clearly, um, but yep. if I had to pick one, it would go to Kapiolani Medical Center uh, and admin there that are um, clearly corrupt, clearly colluding with uh, local news and uh, police department and um, simply not treating their nurses well. Those nurses are being forced to work overtime on the daily, 15, 16 hours. Um, a cost of living in yeah. Hawaii is astronomical. All these nurses have two, three, four jobs just to be able to um, pay pay bills, and no one can afford to buy a house. Um, their ratios are out out of this world, and these are it's a it's a children's hospital. So these are babies and children and NICU and uh, our most um, you know uh, valuable. Um, patients, right, that we need to take care of. And uh, Kapiolani Medical Center, this Enema Award of the Week goes to you. Bravo. Bravo. All right, Matthew, back to where can people find you and follow you and learn all about you? Give us your handles, your website, what you got. Yeah. So um, uh, TikTok is a very, at a very vocal nurse. Um, LinkedIn is, I think, Matthew Garvey. (laughs) I think um, all of my personal, you can follow me on all of my personals as well. I, I don't have a lot of business socials um, at the moment that may change, um, but it's Matthew Paul Garvey on all of my socials. Um, and then you can also visit my website. It I do legal nurse consulting and also education in that. My website is more geared to the the nurse consulting side, uh, but there's a contact form on there. You're welcome to get a hold of me through it as well. My website is Garvey, which is G A R V as in Victor E Y C E S dot com. Um, so you can go there. My email is Matthew period Garvey at Garvey C E S dot com. Erica, I shortened it for you. Um, <laughs> so you can add me anywhere, reach out to me, contact me anywhere, um, socials. That's fine. If you're going on the Nurse Blake cruise, I don't know if any of your podcast listeners, I'm sure a lot of them do. Come see uh, Matthew. He'll be there. Yeah. Come say hi to me. Come see me. I'll be teaching. Come to my presentations. And partying um, at if night. you just want to. Presenting. Exactly. Partying at night. <laughs> exactly. If you want to just talk, vent, whatever you want to do, reach out. Um, I'm here. And yeah, I'm here for you all. I'm here for the profession. I, I So nice meeting you. Thank you. And I'm excited to see you on the cruise. We're going to have a, we're going to have a good time. Um, we'll Great have time. Again. I can't wait. We'll back again on Nurses Uncorked. Um, we've got a lot more to talk about. So until next time, sure. everybody, um, we'll see you next week on Nurses Uncorked. Oh, 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 oh,